Good morning, folks. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your church. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and we thank you that uh, he purchased us uh, by his death uh, on the cross. And uh, we thank you that that purchase was validated uh, in the resurrection and in the outpouring of uh, your Holy Spirit upon us. We thank you that you uh, simply do not convert us, but that you draw us together uh, in a body uh, which is uh, a part of the greater body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you again that this is the case. We thank you that you have a particular purpose for the body of Christ, your church. And we thank you that an aspect of this is that we are the temple of the living God and that you are pleased to dwell in a special way in our midst when we gather together for public worship. And so as we continue to study this idea uh, we pray that you'll be pleased to bless and strengthen us and help us uh, in our understanding of it. Uh, be pleased to uh, be with us uh, in a gracious way as we are uh, together in class, and uh, be pleased to uh, be with us in a gracious way as we assemble to worship, as uh, you call us uh, into your special gracious presence as we respond by singing, as we hear your word, as uh, we respond again by singing, as we uh, hear the uh, call to repentance and uh, we respond uh, to you, uh, we pray that uh, as uh, uh, this process takes place, that we will uh, be drawn close to you and uh, that you'll be pleased to bless us. So uh, grant us your grace uh, in this way, we ask in the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. The whiteboard on your left, uh, we're working on this proposition at the top of... Uh, uh, the board, public worship is an entering into God's presence and into heaven. And uh, we had a question about this uh, uh, toward the end of class last week. And uh, the question, well, the, the, the statement uh, preceding the question was, I don't quite get what you have to say here. Uh, I... My response was, well, yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> and uh, the question was, uh, had to do with, uh, well, how do I uh, relate to this idea of uh, public worship being an entrance into heaven? And uh, one aspect of this, of course, is uh, the idea that uh, we are not only the temple of the living God, but as I uh, sought to explain it last week, uh, we are uh, an embassy of heaven. And uh, an embassy is the uh, property of the home country, so that when you go to the embassy, you're actually uh, 
uh, in the territory of uh, the home country. And uh, this is the idea uh, that when we uh, are part of public worship, we are as an assembly, uh, an embassy of heaven, an outpost of heaven, and we are uh, in the territory of heaven. Now, uh, uh, as I thought about this some more and, and uh, had some uh, other input, uh, the question really seemed to stem from the fact that, uh, well, uh, I can get this intellectually, but uh, surely we are not experiencing the fullness of heaven now as uh, we come together for worship. Correct. <laughs> uh, we're not experiencing the fullness of heaven now. There's a lot uh, that uh, uh, awaits us as we have the prospect of fully entering into uh, the holy places of heaven. And uh, the, the idea would be this, that uh, uh, when you uh, go to an embassy, uh, you get to uh, eat the food from the home country, uh, you get to fellowship for, uh, with the people from the home country, uh, you uh, dress like the people from the home country. It's, it's uh, in many ways similar to your being in the home country, but you're not, uh, you don't get a, a, the fullness of being in the home country because you're uh, in an embassy, you're in an outpost. And uh, this is the idea with regard to uh, public worship. Uh, we're in this outpost, and in many ways we, we get uh, what we would call a taste of heavenly things as we are in this outpost of heaven, and uh, we have an opportunity to uh, enter into the uh, special and gracious presence of God uh, as we are uh, gathered together in this uh, as this outpost of heaven. And uh, my encouragement is that uh, you and I more and more anticipate our uh, gathering together to meet with God in this special way. Uh, there's, a, there's a mindset uh, that's involved here. And uh, it also has to do with our hearts. There's no doubt that this is the case. Uh, but I think uh, there's a way of thinking about all of this, that, that we have an opportunity now to gather, not only to have fellowship with God's people and gather together, but to gather uh, uh, with God in a special way as God's people. And uh, uh, I don't think we always experience this, but often uh, what takes place in the worship service is uh, that uh, we, we have what the speakers call uh, the palpable moment. And uh, what speakers mean by the palpable moment is uh, that we're all gathered together and all of a sudden it's like, there's just a hush that comes upon the congregation. And if you just stop for a moment, you, you could, if there weren't carpet on the floor, you could hear a pin drop. It's just like, whoa, something's going on here. And for me personally, the, the most dramatic uh, of such a circumstance that I have personally uh, experienced was uh, 
uh, several months ago preaching in Bloomington uh, at uh, a series of meetings. They asked me to, to speak about evangelism. And uh, uh, we, were, we were in the, the uh, church auditorium uh, together, and it was just all of a sudden like, woof. And I thought to myself, whoa, something's going on here. And uh, uh, you, you all of a sudden, you get it. God is at work. He's graciously and specially present. And it's a time uh, to think about the things of God and to pray that God will work in the hearts of individuals who are present. Our own hearts and in the hearts of individuals who are present. And uh, this is the kind of thing uh, that uh, we don't always experience, but uh, I would encourage you to pray about and to think about and anticipate as uh, we come together for worship. And as I've said before, uh, coming together for worship is not like uh, going to a PTA meeting. Hello! <laughs> uh, R.C. Sproul is fond of uh, uh, talking about uh, churches, uh, church buildings, as being uh, constructed primarily for fellowship. That is, they're constructed with big open areas and places where people can gather, and they're not really constructed for worship. Uh, like, uh, and he makes a comparison with the old cathedrals, uh, that uh, you would go into the old cathedrals and you'd just go, whoa. And, and you'd be set back uh, with a sense of awe by the beauty and the expanse and the structure. And uh, they were constructed this way to give you a sense of awe before the living God. This was the idea. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, that's Sproul's take on things. And one of the interesting things about uh, uh, these old cathedrals was they were built uh, with acoustical soundness so that uh, the pastor, when he spoke, could be heard without amplification and the singing would reverberate within that structure. And uh, there, w- there was a genius to all of that uh, because it was a, uh, to be an anticipation of heaven. Uh, this was the idea. And uh, so... Uh, I've already said this that when uh, there there's a desire to do some uh, updating uh, in our worship area uh, because uh, uh, sometimes the carpets get a little wrinkled when it's uh, the humidity's high and this sort of thing uh, that that uh, we need to have somebody who's who understands acoustics to come in and uh, give us some recommendations so that the singing is accentuated. And uh, we, we do, in a, more, uh, in a better way, get uh, this taste of the heavenly. Uh, this is the idea. Okay? Uh, so, uh, w- with that preliminary uh, on one uh, piece of what we're talking about, uh, the board on uh, your right, I've got this timeline that we uh, ended with last week. 
And uh, I gave you in the handout a similar timeline with uh, uh, several scripture references on it. Uh, the only difference between the timeline that I have on the board and the timeline that I've uh, given you as a handout is uh, that I didn't put Solomon in there. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, transition uh, from David to Solomon and uh, the construction of the temple. Uh, in the uh, th- uh, bottom of the third paragraph, Uh, I say in the handout, uh, we cannot, we dare not introduce standards of Moses or standards of David into New Testament worship if God has in in fact affected a change through Christ. We are obliged to maintain the standards of worship established by God for our times. So in other words, here we are in uh, uh, the New Testament era, in the time of the church, and uh, what I'm saying is we ought not to incorporate in our worship uh, things from the times of Moses or the times of David uh, in uh, the church today. Uh, Because God has made, if God has made changes all along the way, and God has done that, it's not up up to us to blur the changes. Uh, It's not uh, up to us to bring things from Moses up to the time of Christ and use things from the time of Moses. Or it's not up to us to use the things from the time of David and bring them up uh, to the time of Christ. Follow me? Okay. Uh, this this would be part of the argument. Now, uh, this argument is so strong uh, in, in the earlier ages of uh, the church that uh, Thomas Aquinas, a Catholic theologian uh, in his time, uh, said... We do not attempt to bring uh, the instruments of David into the New Testament church today, lest we be found to be Judaizing. Now, you, you hear that language and you think to yourself, what? And what Aquinas was saying is that uh, uh, the instrumentation that David introduced was the way of worship of the Jews. And just like circumcision introduced by God through uh, uh, Abraham and Moses was uh, the way of the Jews, part of the ceremonies, we do not bring those ancient rites into the New Testament church and act like the ancient Jews and bring the ancient law into the church lest we be accused of Judaizing the Gospel. 
It's very strong language, and you have to think that through a little bit. But the idea is that we don't bring those ancient rites into the New Testament church. Now, why is this the case? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews chapter 10 quotes from Psalm 40. Let's start with verse 4 in Hebrews 10. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when He comes, that is, our Lord, comes into the world, He says, say now, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is putting the words of Psalm 40 into the mouth of uh, Jesus. Uh, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Uh, so these, these words are put in the mouth of uh, our Lord Jesus. And uh, after quoting uh, Psalm 40, the writer to the Hebrews now gives us an interpretation of Psalm 40, beginning with verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure, which are offered according to the law, okay, according to the law of Moses. So, uh, going back to Moses, all these uh, sacrifices were uh, appointed by God. They were commanded by God. Uh, well, well you, you might say uh, there seems to be a contradiction here. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you pick this up or not. Uh, but Psalm 40 uh, says, uh, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Uh, God did desire sacrifices and offerings. He did command uh, sacrifices and offerings. Uh, uh, verse 8, Again, after saying uh, above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, you have not desired, uh, nor have you taken pleasure of them, which are offered according to the law, and they were commanded by the law. And I think uh, what is meant here is that uh, uh, sacrifices and offerings performed simply as an outward observance was not what was desired simply performed as an outward observance. In other words, the people of old, the people of old were to trust in the living God and to trust in the promise of God that God would bring a Savior who would crush the head of the serpent. And they were to believe that. And as they brought their sacrifices, they were to look for the Savior. In other words, they were to act in faith 
See, not just as outward observance. See, this is a caution for you and for me. Now, now I know you've never done this, and I've never done this either. Come to church and listen to the prayers and sang the psalms and heard the service, sermon and heard the benediction and said, it's time to go home now. And it's all been more of an outward observance than an inner conviction. So I know I've done that. And the reason I know I've done that is I can't count the number of times that when I've been singing the Psalms and my mind is off somewhere thinking about what's going to happen in the week to come or thinking about what's happened in the past week or some grievance I have. This is what happens to us. And we do these things pro forma, as it were. And this was the big problem in ancient Israel, or one of the big problems in ancient Israel. Okay, back to the interpretation. Verse 8 again. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Why did Jesus Christ come? To do the will of the Father. To execute the will of the Father. And part of doing the will of the Father was not only to live a life of perfection before the moral law, but it was to willingly go to the cross to sacrifice Himself for the sins of His people, for the sins of people like you and me. Okay, hang on. Hang on. So back in this text. Behold, I have come to do your will. Notice how the writer to the Hebrews interprets this. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. What is the first? The first is the old sacrifices of the Old Testament and everything that is involved in them. He takes them away. He abolishes them. This is one reason why the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. He takes takes all that old system away. He abolishes it. And some of you have heard me say that since God has done this, in order to establish the once-for-all sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to show that the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, is the preeminent sacrifice. He's done this in order to establish 
the once for all preeminency of the sacrifice of his son, the thought of rebuilding the temple and reinstituting those Old Testament sacrifices is blasphemous. And I purposely use that, that strong language because what uh, such a notion does is undermine the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That, that's what it does. Uh, there is a division that God has established in the setting aside of those Old Testament ceremonies and sacrifices. And again, uh, this is why we date things in this world B.C. and A.D. I mean, this is why. Even the secularists who deny Christ can't avoid how they date uh, things that take place in this world. See, uh, they, would go, they would go to the place of uh, calling it before the common era and the common era. And what's the demarcation? Jesus Christ is the demarcation. <laughs> Call it what you will, <laughs> uh, you see. Jesus Christ is the demarcation. And uh, it, it's a very strong uh, demarcation. And so, uh, what happens here is, there's a dramatic change. And uh, part of the dramatic change involves uh, all of the ceremonies and, and the musical instruments and all of those kinds of things uh, that, that David introduced. Okay? All of those things are done away with. Now, you, have to, you have to let that sink in a little bit. Uh, uh, I see some furrows and some foreheads. That's all right. <laughs> I understand this. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, but but this, is, this is the standard argumentation of the Christian church from the first century. It's very striking. Spurgeon, for this very reason, would not utilize instrumental music in his worship services in London. Did you know that? Spurgeon would not. Okay. And, and you, there's a long list <laughs> in this regard. Okay. Uh, so, so this is the standard argumentation, and, the, and this is just a part of uh, the piece of uh, uh, what we need to uh, begin to do in, in our class. All right? Okay. The question is, in uh, Psalm 40...
what is the volume of the book in the translation uh, here and in the New, New American Standard Version, in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Okay? The Scriptures. The Scriptures of the Old Testament. The Scriptures of the Old Testament. That's the reference. Other questions with regard to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Tom. Okay, good. Along that line, look at Hebrews 13.15. Hebrews 13.15 is a text uh, I want to unpack. Uh, I, I won't do it now, but I want to reference it uh, uh, s- since you brought up this idea. And uh, p- part of the idea that we're, we're working on here uh, is that we are the temple of the living God. And that uh, the connection that, that the Apostle Paul is making uh, with the past is the idea of the temple. All right? uh, the structure of the temple as the special dwelling place of God in the Spirit. All right? And uh, if you look at Hebrews uh, chapter 13 and verse 15, uh, again, uh, uh, Tom p- picked it up uh, here. Uh, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Uh, Notice that the writer to the Hebrews picks up in a specific way the Old Testament temple language. Sacrifice. Right? And uh, uh, I, I, later I want to look at this language because it has, has an uh, interesting connection with some Old Testament texts. Uh, but the idea here is that the sacrifices of praise become what? What does the writer to the Hebrews say? The fruit of lips. The fruit of lips. In other words, the Old Testament sacrifices are changed into the fruit of lips. This is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. The old sacrifices are done away with. The new sacrifice is the fruit of our lips. Praise be unto God. This is what uh, the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. And so, uh, we, we keep this, uh, this overarching idea in mind that although uh, the Old Testament sacrifices are done away with, uh, a lot of the language with regards to the temple is utilized to help us uh, understand Christian worship. Okay? Now, now, you might think that's strange, But uh, here's what happens to us. Uh, Walter Kaiser, who's an Old Testament uh, scholar, uh, has uh, an interesting book uh, which he calls Back to the Future. Kind of reminds you of a movie name. (laughs) Back to the Future. And... uh, In that book, he maintains and illustrates the fact that the only way we can talk about the future 
is by utilizing images from the past. Why is that the case? Because we haven't been there yet. <laughs> See, the only way we can talk, uh, the Bible can talk about uh, heaven is utilizing images from the past. Okay? When you think about it, it makes sense uh, because we haven't been there yet. So we, we don't, there's no other way we can describe it. And so uh, the way the Bible uh, uh, talks about and the way Paul talks about uh, the church and the worship of the church is by utilizing images that come from the temple, from the past. All right? And he's careful uh, with regard to the images that he utilizes all right? because he has, he has a particular motive here. And the particular motive is we are the temple of the living God. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house to offer up spiritual praises unto God. Okay? This is what we are. And uh, you and I need to uh, be more self-conscious about this. How can we uh, think about the sacrifice of praise in a way that doesn't somehow relate to the fact that uh, this is a sacrifice that makes us right with God. See? Uh, interesting question. See? What, what you have to immediately understand is and go to is that the Old Testament sacrifices are done away with for the purpose of establishing the sacrifice of Christ as the once-for-all sacrifice that puts away our sin. It's none other. It's just the sacrifice of Christ. And so uh, there's a sense in which you're, you're back to the, the idea of justification by grace through faith alone and, and some of these arguments also. All right. Other, other questions or comments? Yeah, interesting question. Is Christ the atonement for our sins or the propitiation for our sins? My answer is yes. Yes. Atonement means that he sacrifices himself for our sins to take away our guilt. Okay? Yeah, he wipes away our guilt. Propitiation is another aspect of the same thing. Propitiation means that Christ's sacrifice satisfies God's wrath against sin. Okay? He's no longer angry with us because of our sin. Praise be unto God. So, it's two different aspects of the same thing. Okay. Uh, other whiteboard. Back, back to this whiteboard. The question is, the sacrifice is once for all. Now, it's interesting. The word that's translated once for all uh, is means once. Period. 
And it means once for all time. Okay? That's the idea. Never to be repeated. Okay? And uh, the results of that sacrifice are good for all time. That's the idea. Other whiteboard. See if I don't hurt myself on the whiteboard. Uh, I've got a little diagram here of uh, the uh, of the tabernacle, and uh, the the temple would be the same. Uh, there was an outer court uh, for the tabernacle, and uh, as you entered the tabernacle, uh, the first thing that you would encounter uh, would be the altar of burnt offering. And then as you proceeded further uh, into the tabernacle, you would come to a, uh, the laver or a bath. And it was a, a great big, uh, we, we would say, a great big tub. Uh, not a tub that you got into. <laughs> have to be careful about that. Not a tub that you got into. Uh, but it's very likely uh, that there were spigots or or uh, uh, something of that nature around the bottom of this uh, big basin uh, where water could be drawn off of uh, this basin uh, that was used for cleansing. All right. Uh, uh, then you would enter the, the holy place. And on the left uh, would be the candelabra, and on the right the table of showbread, and, uh, and uh, uh, then the... Uh, altar of burnt offering. And then the veil between the uh, holy place and the most holy place and uh, the Ark of the Covenant in uh, the mo most holy place. Now, the, the reason I'm showing you this is that uh, there was uh, a way of approach to God okay, uh, that's uh, portrayed in the tabernacle. In other words, the way you approach God is... Through sacrifice, all right, your sins uh, must be paid for. Uh, through cleansing, okay, and as you enter then the uh, uh, holy of holies through prayer. Uh, so there's there's a logic uh, you see to the entrance into the presence of God. You follow me, all right, and. Uh, it's very striking uh, that this, this should be the case. And if we are the temple of the living God, as a worshiping community when we come together, uh, there's a logic uh, for our uh, entrance into the presence of God. So think about it now. Uh, think, think about how uh, a worship service goes. Right? There's a call to worship. Right? Now, in the Old Testament, the people were called to come to the tabernacle or call, called to come to the temple. Uh, uh, so there's a call to worship. There's an invocation. What's an invocation? Uh, an invocation is simply a prayer in which we invoke the presence, the special presence of God among His people during a worship service. That's the idea of an invocation. It's not a prayer of confession. 
uh, or, or something like this. Uh, it, it's a prayer with regard to the presence of God among His people. Now, uh, having heard the call to worship and having uh, uh, heard the prayer of invocation, uh, often what takes place is praise. See? What happens? We respond uh, to God in praise. After uh, we uh, respond to God in praise, uh, we hear God's Word. Well, uh, let, let me back up. Some churches do it this way, and, and our pastor has led us in, in this fashion uh, here on uh, an occasion or two. We uh, hear the call to worship. There's the invocation. We hear, uh, hear uh, we offer praise. And, and then there are uh, words from Scripture, uh, from the law of God, convicting us of our sin. And we make confession of sin in response by uh, singing uh, a psalm. And then often uh, there are words from the pastor uh, where the pastor says, if you have truly confessed your sin, the promise of God is that He will forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's a statement with regard to the gospel and gospel assurance. And, and uh, uh, there's, a, uh, there's, in a sense, uh, a following of this pattern uh, that uh, the people of God are called to worship. They come. Uh, they are confronted with their sins by the sacrifice at the altar. They confess their sins and they're cleansed by the waters, and then uh, they can enter into the more close fellowship and presence of God. See? There's a logic here. And uh, in uh, the uh, Bible, uh, we never find a specific order of worship uh, that's given. Uh, but uh, in the Bible, uh, what we do find is a record of a number of aspects of elements of worship and specific commands with regard to elements of worship in the New Testament. And so that's in part where I want to go next week. Because what we're about, you see, is actually... Uh, a very logical and systematic uh, entrance into the vital and uh, gracious presence of the living God when we come to worship. And there's a logic to it. Okay. Now, uh, I, I, I'm going to... Uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't do this uh, because it's uh, ending on kind of a negative. Uh, but... Uh, I want to admonish you a little bit. Is that all right if I do that? <laughs> if if you were called uh, into uh, a meeting uh, with 
a high dignitary, what would you do? You would make sure that you were there on time and when you were ushered into the presence of that dignitary, you would pay the proper respect. Correct? You and I have the privilege of entering into the presence of the highest dignitary of the universe. And you and I ought not to take it lightly. It's an important time. And uh, you see, uh, the little admonishment is, it's interesting, isn't it? We think nothing of coming in ten minutes late. Would you ever do that? So you have an appointment with the President of the United States. And say, oh, pardon me, Mr. President, I'm sorry for being a little late. You've just missed your appointment. <laughs> See, I, 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 I'm poking a little bit. I get it. But, but I just want to encourage each one of us, and myself included, that this is a significant time. And you and I ought to take it seriously and be prepared to enter into God's presence and do so with great thanksgiving of heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for uh, Your Word. You're good to us in every respect, uh, better to us than we deserve. And we ask, Father, that as we probe some of these matters further, that You be pleased to bless us and encourage us. And we do pray, Father, that You would meet with us in the power of Your Spirit to transform our thinking, to bridle our emotions, to alter our wills, and to conform us to the very image of Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray that Uh, Week by week as we come together, that step by step, uh, these things would be taking place. And so bless your people uh, to this end, we pray, in the good and gracious name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.